Hello, and welcome to Book Club of One. I am Jacob, a librarian, and through the course of a year I read a lot of books. Join me as I detail and share my impressions of the books that have entertained or educated me the most. Back to normal processes for episode recording. And I've been reading a good bit of graphic novels, but also working my way through the pile. While I've enjoyed catching up on the podcasts with my new commute, I will start doing a few audiobooks as well. If you have any favorites, please recommend them. I'll likely be using Cloud Library, Libby, and possibly Hoopla next month when I have credits again. A priority is trying to figure out what Brandon Sanderson books are available as audiobooks to me, and hopefully I'll be able to continue working on the Skyward series. You've Got Red on You, How Shaun of the Dead Was Brought to Life, by Clark Collis, a white British writer. He studied history at Cambridge University and is currently a senior writer at Entertainment Weekly magazine, and he also grew up in the same hometown as Edgar Wright. This book details the development of the film Shaun of the Dead from the youths of Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg through to its present legacy. I don't recall exactly where I saw it, notice of it being released, but I did see so and add it to my to-read list and was fortunate to receive it as a gift early in the summer of this year. And it is a fully in-depth look that starts with pagan rights youths watching films to their meeting in their early careers. It details their influences and developments as film creators. So in this, it details those relationships, their early work together, beginning with some TV shows such as Asylum and Spaced, and also talks about the period of their lives where they were housemates. And after first making a joke of it, taking this film idea seriously and writing a full script before then taking it through the stages one needs to to create a film such as receiving backing, finding producers and crews, getting funding, finding a studio to put it out through, and then the making of. And there are lots of behind-the-scenes information and details of this, all this. And it's warts and all, such as Peg's struggles with mental health and alcoholism, Wright's ongoing difficulty with the rest of the crew throughout the filming of Shaun of the Dead, and even just the simple struggle of getting the budget that they felt was needed to create the film. While it was stressful, it also sounds like, aside from Wright, they had a lot of fun creating and making the film. And if nothing else, it certainly encourages one to rewatch the film and look at the legacy it has led. It was one of the earlier works that led to a sort of zombie renaissance for our contemporary society that we largely seem to be rather over now as we shift to other interests. Far Sector by N.K. Jemison, an African-American author of speculative fiction. Her work has been honored with three consecutive Best Novel Hugos for the Broken Earth trilogy, as well as a Nebula Award, two Locus Awards, and a number of other honors. She is a member of the Altered Fluor Writing Group. In addition to writing, she has been a counseling psychologist and educator, specializing in career counseling and student development, a hiker and biker, and a political feminist anti-racist blogger. Although she no longer pens the New York Times book review science fiction column called Otherworldly, which she covered for three years, her reviews can still be found online. 
She was previously featured back in episode 20. Here she worked with Jamal Campbell, a freelance illustrator and comic book artist working out of Toronto, Canada. All of this from a story idea by Jared Gerard Way. Far Sector is centered on Sojourner Joe Moulin, a newly established Green Lantern who's working on one of her first assignments to solve a violent crime in a city of 20 billion people where emotions are restricted and violent crime is unheard of with murder formerly non-existent. I'm not sure of where I initially came across this, but the Green Lanterns were one of my favorite comic series growing up, particularly centered on Kyle Rayner as written by Ron Mars. And this is more a murder mystery than your traditional superhero story. The metropolis at the center of it has been set up as kind of a authoritative society where emotions are restricted from birth. And the leadership that's been put in place to avoid tensions and issues between the three races. But unfortunately, tensions are still rising due to the creation and usage of an illegal drug that allows the ingester to experience emotions. The city is controlled by a council, which each of the three species or races represented. There is a sentient plant-based species that occasionally eats meat, and when they do, it gives them some sense of souls joining. There's an electronic AI-based race where the wealthier residents are able to enter the real world, where many of the poorer ones are relegated to a virtual world. And finally, a humanoid race with wings. So in the past of this this civilization, they had been torn apart by war and conflict with outside groups playing them against one each other, but they have not been able to unify and establish the metropolis despite the destruction of their home planets. And throughout this, Joe has been called in by this council to help them solve the murders and maintain peace. Joe chose to keep her emotions on arrival and is one of the major players in this game who doesn't have her emotions restricted short of uh, using the, the illegal drug. She does hold the power ring, but only uses it when necessary. Much more of the story plays out with her investigating and forming alliances between the differing factions, trying to find out why all of a sudden murders are occurring. I hope Jemison creates more graphic works, and sometime soon, I hope to read her Broken Earth trilogy. The Facemaker, One Surgeon's Battle to Mend the Disfigured Soldiers of World War I, by Dr. Lindsay Fitzharris, a white American author, medical historian, and television host. Her PhD is in the history of science and medicine from the University of Oxford. Her first book, The Butchering Art, won the Penn E.O. Wilson Award for Literary Science and has been translated into 20 languages. She writes regularly for a variety of publications, including The Wall Street Journal, Scientific American, The Guardian, The Lancet, and New Scientist. She also has a television series on the Smithsonian Channel, The Curious Life and Death of... that explores some of the most mysterious deaths in history. The Facemaker, in particular, explores the life and work of Dr. Harold Gillies. He pioneered many procedures and methods to reconstruct the burned and broken faces of soldiers wounded during World War I service. I'd come across Dr. Fitzharris's work several years ago during a research project and eventually read her first book, The Butchering Art, and have kept an eye out for further work 
While the prior book had been interesting, this one much more falls into my areas of interest. As mentioned, it's centered on Dr. Gillies and his work, and we explore the many different ways men were injured or disfigured throughout the course of World War I. Injuries that could include facial shrapnel or bullet wounds or heavy burns. It bears reminding that at the start of World War I, tactics and strategies were more rooted in the conflicts of the 19th century, with metal helmets not being widely used until 1915 at earliest. Before that, soldiers were typically wearing either cloth or leather caps, both of these not offering much protection against artillery shrapnel or bullet wounds. Also, in popular memory, and as it's widely remembered, the conflict was largely experienced through trenches, and there would be a much higher incidence of head wounds as those being the most likely parts of the body regularly exposed to the enemy. Fitzharris takes us through Gilly's education and development and the ways he learned to rebuild a face. To do so, he often had to start by undoing the work received at frontline aid stops. This was an era before antibiotics, and the Western Front was notorious for mud-infected wounds, so quite frequently, Gillies would have to unstitch wounds and irrigate them, hoping it was before sepsis set in that would further cause complications in rebuilding. And that reconstruction often began by securing skin to rebuild the bone structure or using uh, bones transplanted from one part of the body to another or substitutes of very sterilized animal components. It is emphasized the lengthy amount of time that this rec reconstruction necessitated with the need to buo the psychological state of the wounded especially important. He couldn't rush even if they felt the need for it, and there's a particular passage reflecting no pun intended, why it was so important that these men have a healthy mindset and yet not have access to mirrors to remind themselves of how they changed. Fitzharris also details other work done uh, by other medicinal, medicinal practitioners or artists, such as uh, an artist who would sketch the wounded at different stages of their treatment. Uh, they took photographs also and there is some detail of painters whose work was to create masks to cover up the missing parts of a, of a soldier's face. It was very much work done to help the people just pass through society without drawing attention or alarm. This work also includes numerous of those images, photographs, and artworks reflecting the different faces of reconstructive work on a number of paintings described in the narrative. It was very much a long-term effort to restore what had been lost in moments. Gender Queer by Mea Kobabe, who is a white American author and illustrator. E is a graduate of the first ever class in the MFA in comics program at California College of Arts in San Francisco. Maya's short comics have been published in The Nib, The New Yorker, The Washington Post. Ear's work have also appeared in numerous anthologies. He also worked in libraries for over 10 years. E's sibling, Phoebe Kobabe, is an American digital artist, colorist, and animator based in LA. They work together on this volume. And Genderqueer is Maya's autobiography charting Ear's journey of self-identity from early childhood through adolescence. I'm not sure where exactly I first heard of this, but it is a popular and frequently banned book, so probably 
I first saw notice of it from the ALA's list of the most challenged books. And it is very much centered on Maya's experience from a young age to roughly the present and their struggle to form an identity, never feeling truly female in ears, body, or male. So it is a very personal journey, but can be useful to others in showcasing that one, they are not alone, and two, as was in a popular social media campaign, it does get better. But we see Maya struggle to find that identity, find belonging, particularly when Ears' sexuality wasn't always at the forefront as it was for their peers. It also showcases the, the dysmorphia issues when you might feel yourself best aligned to one gender that does not match your gender from birth, and how that can be quite difficult to, to handle when your body needs particular checkups or treatment, such as the, the yearly need for the pap smear which is detailed here in, in quite, quite detail. But through it all, we see a work that seeks to understand one's journey and offer the lessons learned to others who might be in need. Tenements, Towers, and Trash, An Unconventional History of New York City, by, written and drawn by Julia Wirtz, a white American professional cartoonist, amateur historian, and part-time urban explorer. Her works have included Drinking at the Movies and The Fart Party. Her comics have been featured in The New Yorker, The New York Times, and Medium. Her urban exploration is detailed on the website Adventure Bible School. Ten Minutes Tower and Trash offers micro-histories of different facets of New York City outside the tourist favorites, undercut with then-and-now streetscapes. This is one that has been on my reading list longest as it initially came out in 2017, and I possibly heard of it from the New York Times Notable Books of the Year list for that year. And it is a, a fascinating exploration of the city. So we get to know about different sections of the city, such as the uh, boats sitting out to rot, uh, what a, an egg cream, an exploration of its creation and where it was offered, little snippets of lots, lots of different history. And to break up all those sections of history, uh, Julia frequently includes streetscapes showing what they looked at in, in the 1890s, 1930s, 1960s, versus how they looked in the 20-teens. And you can very often see the buildings might have remained the same, but the businesses in them or the status or organization of that particular neighborhood or it might have fluctuated Quite a, quite a bit between those eras detailed. It pairs very well uh, with last episode's Ross Chass book about exploring New York, only this one taking us a little more off beat path. For anyone who enjoys the deep dives you can frequently get from Atlas Obscura, this would be a book to explore and learn a little more about other sites in New York. Reading Soon in Progress. A Collapse of Horses by Brian at Evenson. A collection of short stories such as A Stuffed Bear's Heart Beats with the Rhythm of a Dead Baby. Reno Keeps Receding to the East No Matter How Far You Drive. And in a mine on another planet, the dust won't stop seeping in. These stories, Brian Evenson unsettles us with the everyday and the extraordinary, 
the terror of living with the knowledge of all we cannot know. That summary via Goodreads. This has been another episode of Book Club of One. Thank you for listening. I welcome constructive criticism and book recommendations, or even if you found a book through this episode and want to share the story, feel free to reach out through Instagram and Gmail at Book Club of Uno. Book Club of One is recorded and distributed by Anchor.fm. And remember, no one should be shamed for reading.